This morning we're going to be starting a two-week series on the book of Philemon. So it's only 25 verses long, so if you're looking for it, you might miss it. It's right before Hebrews. It's on page uh, 940 in the Pew Bible, if you want to pull those out, or if you have your own Bible, or the the words are up on the screen and the bulletin. And I want to say, first of all, it really is a privilege to be able to speak to you all this morning, both because of who I'm speaking to, but also because of uh, what I'm speaking on. Uh, first of all, it's, it's an honor to speak to all of you, right? Because you are the, blood, the blood-bought bride of Christ. You are the church, the people of God, and that's a humbling thing to be able to speak to you. And it's also humbling when I consider what I'm preaching on, the word of God, the gospel. It's a weighty responsibility with eternal significance. And it's the gospel that has brought all of us, all of us here together this morning— And in fact, I would submit to you that the very heart of the letter from Paul to Philemon is the fact that it is the gospel that brings us together. First, consider what the gospel is, right? It's it's the fundamental basis of the church. We're called Christians, followers of Christ. And the good news, the gospel, that God himself came down and took his own righteous judgment for us, his sinful people, so that he could be both just and the merciful savior of his people— And that Christ rose again, bringing us with him into eternal life. That's the good news that we sang about this morning, that we preach about each Sunday, that we encourage each other with, that we celebrate and remember in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The gospel, friends, is the fundamental basis of the church. And so the gospel is not something we simply remember as Christians, but the gospel compels the way that we live in the world as Christians. It impacts how we view the world as Christians, how we interact with each other as Christians. And the gospels we should expect is at the heart of the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And Paul shares some very profound theological truths in this letter, truths that should impact how we think and what we believe. And Paul's letter is also profoundly practical, helping his beloved fellow Christian Philemon to understand what it looks like to live out the gospel in a broken world that is yearning for the redemption that only Christ can bring. All of creation is groaning for the redemption that only Christ can bring. And Christ brings that redemption to us in the gospel and the gospel to the world through us. The gospel is not just something that we know and believe. It is transforming us as Christ works through us to bring the gospel to the world so that all might trust in Christ. And so this morning, I want to I talk specifically about how the gospel compels us, bringing us together to love God and one another, right? This, it's nothing new here at James River. Ben, you actually said this uh, when you preached on Psalm 100 right before your sabbatical. You said, every week we hear the same thing, right? Because the gospel compels us to love God and others more. So this morning, I want to let the word of God preserve for us here in the letter to Philemon, show us how the truth of who God is and what he has done for us, right? The gospel, how that gospel compels us to love God and one another. So this morning, I want to uh, read through the, the whole uh, letter. It's only 25 verses. And then uh, this morning we'll focus on verses 1 through 14. And we'll wrap up uh, next week. So we'll start at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, 
because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that as, as we look at your word, Lord, that your word would not return empty, but that it would accomplish that which you desire here, Lord, and succeed in the purpose for which you have sent it to us. Lord, may I make it clear, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So friends, let's start this morning with a few of the major characters that we see in this letter, right? So we have Paul, first of all. His name is probably pretty familiar to most of us. Uh, one of the leaders in the early church, the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, he wrote many of the books in the New Testament. And we also have Onesimus, who apparently was a runaway slave that had met Paul at Paul's current location in prison. We see that in verse 10. And from looking at eight, verse 18 and 19, right, it seems that he may have wronged his master, Philemon, in some matter beyond simply running away. And we see in verse 13 that Onesimus has been caring for Paul while he's in prison. And then we have Philemon, right, who this letter is primarily addressed to. He was Onesimus' master and a faithful Christian in the church at Colossae. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. And this letter serves as a sort of guide to Philemon on how he is to welcome back Onesimus. And I think that Paul's main point in this letter to Philemon and to us today is that it's the gospel that draws us together to love God and one another. And again, specifically, we're going to look this morning at how the gospel compels us to love God and one another. So I got six points. We're going to cover three today and three next week. Okay, so three, first three points today. We are in this together. All things are for Christ. And the love of Christ compels us to love one another. And then next week we'll talk about how the gospel will reconcile us 
the gospel will help us forgive one another, and the gospel will bring us together as fellow workers. So again, those three points for today, if you, if you want, if you'd like to take notes. First is, we are in this together. Second, all things are for Christ. And third, the love of Christ compels us to love one another. So let's start, start in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. All right, so we see right off the bat here that Paul is a prisoner. He identifies himself as a prisoner. And it's generally believed that Paul wrote several letters while in prison, probably in Rome, among, among which are Colossians and Philemon. And it's general, generally believed that Philemon and Onesimus lived in Colossae because in Colossians 4, Paul says that um, Onesimus is one of you. All right, and we, we also can conclude from uh, Colossians 2 that Paul had never been to Colossae because Paul says he had never seen them, quote, face to face. So instead, it appears that Epaphras, who we see in this letter, had founded the church in Colossae and told Paul about the church while they imprisoned together. This is referenced in Colossians uh, 1. And here we see that verse 23, Epaphras is also in present here with Paul, also for the sake of Christ. So here we have Paul and Epaphras. They're hanging out in prison, possibly during Paul's house arrest in Rome that we read about at the end of Acts. And Paul has some others with him to assist in this ministry. Specifically, at the start of this letter, he lists Timothy as a co-author. Now, it's also possible, because Paul had never been to, to Colossae, that he had never met Philemon face-to-face. It's possible he'd met Philemon somewhere else. Uh, he mentions in verse 19, right, how he owes Paul his own self. Whether this was directly through Paul bringing Philemon to Christ or Philemon coming to Christ through Paul's ministry in a broader sense, potentially through Epaphras, uh, we, can, we can guess. But we do know from verse 5 that Paul has heard of Philemon's love and faith, and we can guess he has heard of this from Epaphras. And it's likely as a result of what he hears that Paul can confidently call Philemon here a beloved fellow worker for the gospel. But Paul and Timothy don't just address this letter Philemon. Look at verse 2. Right, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So we see that this letter is also addressed to Aphia, their sister in Christ, who something may have been Philemon's wife. Archippus, their fellow soldier for Christ, possibly Philemon's son. And it's also addressed to the entire church that met in Philemon's house. Now most would agree this letter is a pretty personal letter between Paul and Philemon. But I think it's important to note that these folks are not just listed at the end of the letter, right? This is kind of the traditional to and from lines in ancient letters. And Paul, he does list others at the end in verses 23 and 24. Uh, And in other letters, Paul typically at the conclusion of his letter will send greetings to others in the church. But here we have Timothy, uh, Aphia, Archippus, and the church in your house, right? are all listed prominently at the start, which isn't typical of some of the other personal letters from Paul, if you look at Titus or Timothy. So I think they're listed here for a reason. And I would submit to you that it is because the gospel lived out or not lived out impacts the whole church. Because we need the accountability and encouragement of the whole church. See, the gospel is bigger than just you and me. Take a look ahead at verse 7, where Paul says that Philemon's love has refreshed the hearts of the saints, plural, the saints. 
And so, in an equal sense, as Paul is about to call Philemon to live out the gospel in his relationship with Onesimus, there's a subtle reminder here that this relationship is not just between Philemon and Onesimus. It involves those around Philemon, too. It involves his family, his church. So here's our first point, right? We are in this together. If the gospel is going to compel us to love God and others, we must see that we are in this together. Just look at some of the language that Paul uses uh, back in, in verse 1 and 2. Right? Philemon is a fellow worker. Archippus is a fellow soldier. They're all working together. It's a common cause. It's a joint effort that involves all of those around Philemon. So friends, we need to see the importance of church community. If we don't, how will we fulfill Christ's commandment to love one another? Right? Jesus says that if we have love for one another, that if we have love for one another, that's how everyone will know that we're his disciples. Right? John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If the gospel is going to compel us to love one another, and in doing so, love God by fulfilling his commandment, we must first see the importance of church community. Only then can the gospel compel us to love another. And only then will we see the fruit of the gospel drawing us closer together and reconciling broken relationships. All right, so, so consider a group of guys on a pit crew, all right? I'm not a NASCAR fan, but uh, so hopefully this analogy doesn't crash and burn, all right? But I figured it may, it may uh, resonate with some of you, all right? So let's say cars come in and they all have the common goal, right, of getting the tires uh, off and, and back on and the car back in the race as quick as possible, right? But what if when that car pulls in, they all rush to the back right tire? Or one guy's trying to carry the, the tire and the gun to put the lug nuts on, right? They're not going to be very effective or quick, right? Or what if a bunch of volleyball players, uh, all with the common goal of getting that ball back over the net, they all die for the ball at the same time, or somebody just hits it back over without setting it up for the spike, right? They, both of these groups might be able to accomplish their goal, but they really need their teammates to be successful at the task that before them. They need to see the teammates that are left and right. Now, we must not neglect the fact that it is only God that can change us, but we also must not forget the church community that God has given to us. We can all have a common goal of following Jesus, but if we don't recognize the fellow Christians around us, who is going to be the one another's that we are commanded to love? Who are we going to encourage? Who is going to hold us accountable? Who is going to affirm that we are, in fact, the Christians we claim to be? Church, we are in this together. If the gospel is going to compel us to love God and one another, we must see that we are in this together. Right? Consider this, this point in light of verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? It's a typical opening from Paul, but, but consider it in light of the fact that the gospel compels us to love God and one another. This gospel, the good news that the grace of God has been freely given to us in Jesus Christ, brings us peace with God. Right? And this grace and peace with God compels us to love one another, which brings us peace with each other as we extend that same grace to each other. Right? Grace to you and peace, first from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The gospel is what draws us together. The grace and peace ultimately come from God first, but his gospel draws us together then as it compels us to love God and one another. We can extend grace and have peace with each other if we're not in this together. So how can we as members of James River be in this together, allowing the gospel to compel us to love one another well? 
how can we spur one another on to love others well? All right, to start, I'd point you to our membership covenant, all right, a set of commitments we have made to one another as fellow members of the church family. And those commitments aren't just things we do on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, right? Think here that Philemon's church is being involved and impacted by his everyday relationship. Philemon and Nisimus' relationship doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. We are in this together too, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, allowing the gospel to compel all of us to love God and, and others, right? And our, our membership covenant is, is in the active sense, right? We have to be intentional. We, we have committed to encourage one another, which is tied to, to being here, right? To, we have to uh, be here to love each other well. We can love each other through offering encouragement or rebuke, rejoicing and mourning with each, each, each other, right? welcoming strangers with hospitality, giving cheerfully, generously to support the ministry of the church, or just as Philemon needed the church to hold him accountable to do what was right, we can hold each other accountable. Just as Philemon's love has refreshed the hearts of the saints, our love can refresh the hearts of the saints here, both in our actions directly as well as in the example that we set, which can be a conviction or an encouragement to others around us, right, to see our example. And it's something we do together, not on our own. If we're going to be encouraged or someone is going to rejoice or mourn with us, we need to allow them into our lives. Even I have been rebuked by others at this church for trying to tough it out on my own at times. In reality, it just placed an increased burden on my wife and family, and it also robbed others of the opportunity to encourage and serve me. Right? We're not lone ranger Christians. We're in this together. So I want to encourage you. Get involved. Right? So here's some ideas. Have someone over for dinner. Get to know each other and how you can be praying for each other. Pick up the phone and check in on each other. Right? We're going to talk after the service. We're starting, restarting several small groups this fall. So join one of those as, as you're able to. Right? Reach out if you need some other ideas I'm plugging in, but please recognize the gift and the importance of the church community. Right? We are in this together, being drawn together by the gospel to love God and one another well. All right, so I, the next point that I believe Paul wants us to see is that all things are for Christ. Right? The gospel compels us to love God and one another in order to honor Christ because all things are for Christ. So let's, let's look at verses 4 through 7. Right, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Right, we see in verse 4 that Paul has been praying for Philemon. And Paul is thanking God for Philemon specifically because Paul hears that Philemon is being compelled by the gospel to love God and others. Right, Paul hears in verse 5 of the love that Philemon has toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And Paul here is praying that Philemon's active sharing of his faith would become effective for the request that Paul is about to make of Philemon. Note in verse 5, right, the love that you have, present tense. Philemon has a love towards Jesus. He has a real and genuine faith. Right? Paul doesn't expect him to act from some other motive. He knows the difficult thing he is about to ask of Philemon, real, sacrificial, genuine love, 
can only be compelled by a heart that loves Christ and firmly trusts in his good news, his gospel. Right? Only the gospel can compel us to do the hard things that we're called to do. Now, verse 6, is, it's an interesting verse, but I think it's a very important element of Paul's letter. Right? I pray, right, Paul is praying that the sharing of your faith, Philemon's faith, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And I believe what Paul is saying here in verse 6 is that he is praying that Philemon's faith in Christ, which is compelling him already to love God and others through the sharing of his faith, would further saturate his life. Right? Paul is praying for Philemon's sanctification. And that as a result, his faith in Christ would saturate every aspect of his life. Because it glorifies Christ. Because everything, every good thing is in us for the sake of Christ. Right? Do you see that in verse 6? Paul is praying that Philemon would grow in his faith, being sanctified, in order to know that every good thing is in us for the sake of Christ. And that that realization would spur him on in how he deals with Onesimus. That the truth of a Christ-centric gospel would compel him to love Onesimus. Paul is praying that as Philemon is sharing his faith, right, in word and deed, it would actually help him to grow in his knowledge and appreciation for the gospel itself. Paul is praying that Philemon would be sanctified for Christ because every good thing is for Christ. Right? The gospel compels us to love God and one another in order to honor Christ because all things are for Christ. Or another way to say it is that no good thing, nothing, is simply for our own enjoyment or the enjoyment of others. Every good thing is in us for the sake of Christ. We're just stewards of those gifts, of those good things, right? Consider what Philemon is about to be called to do. He's about to be called to free his slave, allowing him to return to serve Paul, right? So we're going to talk more about slavery next week, and neither, neither Paul nor I are condoning human slavery. But the point here remains that it is only by starting with an understanding that all things are for Christ that Philemon could be called to give up what was never his to begin with, in order to glorify the God for whom all good things exist. Only by starting with the understanding that everything belongs to Christ, that all things are for Christ, only by giving Christ alone the worship that he deserves, can we be compelled to love God and others. Only then can the gospel draw us together. All right, verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Right, the hearts of Christ's church are being refreshed through the love that Philemon is actively living out. And note from back in verse 4, who Paul gives the thanks to here. Paul gives God the thanks for it, right? Because it is God's gospel shown to us in the love of Christ, which is motivating Philemon to love the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And that is refreshing the hearts of the saints, Christ's church. Because all things are for Christ and his glory, right? The gospel compels us to love God and one another, because it glorifies Christ. So friends, is Christ preeminent in our life? Are all things for him? Does our world revolve around us or Christ? Is there any good thing that you or I am selfishly holding back from being for the glory of Christ, right? It's something we can, we can ask ourselves. And is Christ preeminent in this church? Why do we serve here? Are we serving in the nursery or making snacks or fixing a broken toilet because of something we get in return or simply because it brings glory to Christ who loved and served us first? Right? What's our motivation? What's compelling us? Right? Can we or even I at times 
yet bitter in our serving, right? And I'm not discouraging us from serving, right? We need people to serve. But the gospel compels us to love others through service. But I am saying that we should be letting the gospel speak to our hearts in our service and molding our motivations, right? We have to make a daily decision to deny ourselves and look instead to Christ, right? To saturate ourselves in his gospel and rely on him daily in prayer because all things are for Christ. The reality is that all of our time, all our skills and abilities and talents, all our treasure and money, our very lives— are all made by Christ and for Christ, right? So I pray that all of us, our faith too, would grow as we reflect on the love of Christ and that it would compel us even further to love God and refresh the hearts of his saints, both here at James River and around the world. Right? So we've, we've seen this morning that we're in this together, right? And that all things are for Christ. And going from there, then, the last point that we look at today is that the love of Christ compels us to love one another. So we're going to look specifically at how Paul pulls from this starting foundation of the gospel that he's built in the first seven verses and how he begins to apply it to this conflict between Philemon and Onesimus. So let's start in verse 8. Accordingly, right? So accordingly, in light of what Paul has just been talking about, about how Philemon's love for Christ has been motivating him and that Paul is praying for a sanctification, right, that would motivate and shape his life, in light of how that love for Christ is impacting not just Philemon, but the whole church, right? Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, right? Isn't it interesting how Paul chooses to appeal to Philemon instead of commanding him, right? This is Paul the apostle. He could certainly have commanded him, and according to verse 19, right, Philemon owed his very life to Paul, his very self. But instead, Paul chooses to appeal, to ask out of love. As if Paul was saying, Jesus loves you, Philemon, and has treated you and I both better than we deserve. I love you and have gone out of my way to serve you. And I'm not commanding you, but rather inviting you to decide of your own desire to treat Onesimus the same way. Right? You see that in verse 9? For love's sake, compelled by the gospel. And Paul is already setting the example of sacrificial service, right? Here he calls himself an old man and reminds Philemon that currently Paul is sitting in prison for his faith and service for Christ. And so verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, how do you think Philemon would have received that, right? Look at how Paul refers to Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus. He calls him my child, my very heart. And if there's one thing Philemon would probably agree with here, it's that Onesimus has definitely been use- useless to him. All right, apparently Paul has met Onesimus. He, and his, Onesimus apparently has become a Christian, as, too, as a result of Paul's ministry. And Paul, being a spiritual father, has a real genuine love for this man, right? It tears his heart to part with Onesimus, who he calls his very heart. But at the same time, Paul loves Christ more and recognizes that we're all in this together and all good things are for Christ, right? All things are for Christ, not for the Apostle Paul. So both Paul and Onesimus are willing to send Onesimus back to his master, not knowing how Philemon will react when Onesimus shows up. And consider the grace of Christ acting in Onesimus' life 
that allows him to submit in obedience to Christ and return to his potentially angry master. Now, when Paul says that Onesimus was formerly useless, he's making a wordplay on Onesimus' name. Because Onesimus means useful or profitable, which he certainly was not when he ran away, right? But as a beloved brother in Christ, he truly has become useful to both Paul and Philemon. Onesimus, motivated by the love of Christ shown to us in the gospel, has been compelled to love and care for Paul in his imprisonment. All right, look, look at verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. All right, we see Onesimus has been serving Paul, and that service has been useful to Paul, and Paul would like to keep Onesimus with him in order to continue to have that help. Right? But verse 14, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Right? Paul isn't forcing Philemon to do anything. He's appealing to Philemon, even though he could command Philemon to do what's required. Right? Our works, if not compelled by the love of Christ, are useless. Useless both to each other, but also to God. Right? Romans 8 tells us that those who are in the flesh, non-Christians, cannot please God. And Romans 8, 7 actually tells us that a mind motivated by worldly things is hostile to God and unable to submit to God's law. Any obedience born out of a heart that, that's not born out of a heart that loves God and the gospel is wasted and useless obedience. Right? Philemon and Onesimus and Paul can only love God and others if compelled by the gospel, by the love of Christ compelling us to love one another. Right? Philemon's faith in Christ is already showing fruit in the Colossae church, must now be what motivates him to love and forgive and even send Onesimus, Onesimus back to Paul. Right? Onesimus' newfound trust in Christ must now be what he clings to as he leaves Paul and travels back to Philemon. He doesn't know how it will be received. Right? And Paul's love for Christ and knowing how much Christ loves and cares for him must now be the motivation for giving up what is helpful to him personally in order to love and grow the people of God. Right, the love of Christ compels all these men and compels us to love each other. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, for whom all things were created, left his throne in heaven and submitted to a humble birth into a sinful world. He ministered to people in the promised land for several year, years, healing the sick, raising the dead, and yet the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And then he was wrongly accused, suffering rejection by his own people, denial by his own disciples, and death at the hands of the Roman government. And even as they crucified him, right, Christ asked his father to forgive them. And he still dwells with us now through the Holy Spirit, the King of heaven who needs nothing from us and yet gave everything for us. And previously we were enemies with that king and worse than useless to him. But he loved us when we were still enemies and died for us. And as we trust and submit our lives to Christ— he can use us in both extraordinary and ordinary ways. If Christ did that for me, doesn't that motivate me to love Christ with my whole being? Shouldn't that motivate me to share that same love with others? Right? What else can motivate us to do difficult things, like loving our enemies or standing on the boardwalks, telling strangers about Jesus, or risking financial loss for the benefit of God's kingdom? Right, friends, we must let the, go- the gospel saturate our lives. Right, and are we willing to let the gospel saturate our lives? Right? If the gospel is going to compel us, we must first allow it to saturate our lives in order to see that Christ is at the center of the gospel, right? that all things are for him. Are we making Christ a priority in our lives? 
Are we prioritizing the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and corporate worship? Right? Those are things that I can grow in myself too, right? We must grow to see that Christ is preeminent, that all things are for him, and let the love of Christ, let the gospel, compel us to love God and others. And friends, consider the difficult circumstances that Paul, Philemon, and Nisimus are in, right? Where he talked about how Paul is in prison for his faith, but he lived out the gospel regardless of where he was, right? Paul wrote letters from jail. He evangelized in jail. Paul brought his prison warden to faith in Philippi, right, in Acts 16. Anisimus is returning to the man he ran away from, and he probably ran away from him for a reason. And Philemon risked financial loss to free his servant and send them away again to serve Paul. But those circumstances won't get in the way of the gospel motivating them to love God and one another. It is only when we are motivated by the love of Christ, doing all things for him, seeing that all things are for him, that we can love those God has put beside us in order to serve him regardless of our circumstances. And we don't love because we have to. We don't love God or others simply because we have to. Not that a lack of desire is an excuse to not do the things that God has called us to do, but God was not satisfied with burnt offerings offered from a sinful heart, and he is not satisfied by good deeds motivated by selfish desires. No, we love God and others because we want to, because the, the love of Christ compels us. Right? Are we being compelled by the love of Christ to serve those that we are in this together with for Christ's glory? All right, and friends, remember, Paul is not calling Philemon to merely external actions. He is calling Philemon to a change of heart that will compel him to live out what he believes, loving others as Christ has loved him. And we should be calling each other to that as well. We should be praying for that in our own lives and the lives of others. Right, consider parenting. It's great when our kids obey and behave, right? It certainly makes our lives easier. But when a child learns to simply not have a temper tantrum because they don't like the consequences, we risk them growing up in an adult tyrant who manipulates and passive-aggressively attacks those who stand in the way of their desires. Our real goal as parents, as we disciple, encourage, and rebuke each other too, right, is to point hearts toward God, towards loving God and trusting in his gospel. Because obedience born from those efforts, as hard and slow as it may be, will yield eternal benefits. Any, any obedience that is not born out of a heart that loves God in the gospel is wasted obedience, right? It is the love of Christ that must compel us to love each other, or we will quit and give up or simply just manipulate each other. Right? It is the gospel that compels us to love God and one another. We must recognize those that God has put around us, both to encourage and be encouraged by. And we must remember that all things are ultimately for Christ, and therefore be willing to let go of what we view as ours in order to give it back to him. And let the love of Christ be the motivation that compels us to love God and one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word that you have put in this letter to us. The, the truth that you have revealed to us and, and just the practical things. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, as we uh, look through Philemon, uh, that you would just knit your people together, Lord. You would draw us together, Lord, that you'd help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we would value and hold Christ uh, as preeminent in our life, Lord, that our faith would grow as we reflect on the love of Christ, that the love of Christ would compel us, Lord, to love each other well here, Lord, that you would 
Um, build up your church, Lord. Help us to love you well and glorify you in all that we do, Lord. I pray that um, our faith would grow as we reflect on the love of Christ and compel us even further to love God and refresh the hearts of his saints at James River and throughout the world. Amen.